I'd like to share a few thoughts this morning about uh, about Jeremiah and his ministry. Um, one of the difficult things reading the book of Jeremiah, particularly, this is true of many of the prophets, but I think particularly Jeremiah, is that sometimes it's God talking and other times it's Jeremiah talking and it's rather difficult sometimes to understand actually whether it's Jeremiah or or God now of course it's all inspired the record is is inspired by God but it seems to me that Jeremiah was so of one mind with God that the thoughts of God were in fact the thoughts and and feelings of, of Jeremiah as well and so therefore there was this unity between God and and his prophet. Now, I accept that all the Bible is written by inspiration, but it seems to me that, as we read in Hebrews 1, that God spoke in different ways at different times by the prophets. And so some of the prophets, I think, were at times told, well, this is what the Lord says, now you just go out and say that, and that's it. They were almost like a fax machine. But very often they were not like that. Very often what they were writing was their view because they were filled by the Spirit of God, uh, not because they were forced to be filled by it, but because they had chosen to be filled by it, if you, if you see what I mean. So it's all equally inspired, but on a personal level, you end up seeing how somebody, somebody like Jeremiah was so of one mind with God, and of course that is how we should be, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, or the spirit of the prophets, as we're told in the book of Revelation. But in the same way as they would have one mind with the spirit of God, so we also should have the spirit of the Lord Jesus in us. And that that creates tremendous tension as we live in a world, as Jeremiah did, that did not want to know God's ways. Now, let's have a look at Jeremiah 9, verses 17 and 18. And let's try to work out who is talking here. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Now, this is God talking. Consider and call for the mourning women, that they may come, and send for cunning women, that they may come, and let them make haste and take up a lamentation, a wailing, for us that our eyes may run down with tears, and our eyelids gush out with waters. Now, you read verse 18, this talk about that our eyes may run down with tears, etc., and you think, well, that sounds like Jeremiah. But verse 17 says, no, this is definitely God himself speaking. This is all one long sentence. So this is God likening himself to... Israel's husband to their man, their saviour, their their lover who was married to them and he says call for the mourning women and let them raise up a lament over us. That is me and you, Israel. Now the tragedy in all this is awful. It's, It's beyond words that God could as it were say look we as in you and me as in our relationship, as in our marriage, everything is coming to an end, isn't it? It's all messed up. It's, it's pathetic. It's ended. All that's left to do is to weep over it, over what could have been. Now, in that, you, you see the, the passion of God and the feeling of God for his people, which was echoed in the personal feelings of Jeremiah. But all the same, it was God's personal feeling. Now, of course, God and his son, in, in a sense, are married to us who have been baptised into the Lord Jesus. And this is his sensitivity to our unfaithfulness. 
This is really quite something, that he could be that passionate and that sensitive to us. Now because God does not these days send lightning bolts down from heaven and split the earth open to to show his anger or, or do something dramatic to show his pleasure, we can therefore assume that God is some kind of indifferent, that God has handed the earth over, over to us Lord and we can make the mess of it that we like we can make the mess of our own lives as much as we like or, or, or not uh, and then when the Lord comes back there will be the books will be opened and as if God will then start to have a look at what's going on and what has gone on but that is not the case at all God is not indifferent God is highly sensitive and if there's just one thing you take out of the, the study this morning I hope it's that, that God is highly sensitive, that he is in relationship with us that we are in covenant relationship with God, with all that that means, you know we talk almost glibly about being baptised and yes then the promises to Abraham apply to us, we're in covenant with God wait a minute, you and I, we are in covenant with God, now this is an amazing thing and of course Israel were the same uh, when they were in covenant with God have a look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 6 uh, 22 Jeremiah 6 verse, verse 22 sorry I, I got the uh, I have the, uh, the wrong verse there sorry Jeremiah 6 verse uh, 26 O daughter of my people O my dear people but ami, as if they're God's partner, actually. Um, my my beloved wife, my, my dear people. It's a poor translation there on the King James, daughter of my people. Oh, my dear people, my, my partner, make mourning, for suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. Now, again, just note those pronouns. Remember that we're not reading a novel, we're not reading any human literature. These are the words of God himself. The destroyer will come upon us. We are going to be destroyed. So even though God brought this destruction upon his people, he suffered within that punishment. The destroyer came upon God and his people. God was destroyed, as it were, in what happened to, to his people. So let's never ever get the idea that God is some wrathful deity who whacks out punishment against, against his people because he's kind of uh, irritated with them or angry with them like a, a bad-tempered parent um, with a misbehaving child. Not at all. He is married to Israel and the destruction of Israel was his destruction even in their sufferings. So then this idea of God being destroyed, as it were, in the destruction of his people, I think that helps me to understand how later on, Jeremiah in Lamentations, chapter 1, verse 1, he talks about how Zion has been left a widow, and you get the same in Isaiah 54. So, probing deeper, if Zion, or Jerusalem, Israel, is left a, a widow, well, who died? And who was her husband? Well, her husband was God. The idea is that, in a sense, God died. Now, the idea of the death of God is, is awful and obnoxious, in a sense. We, we know that God, by his nature, cannot die. But he felt it as if he had died. 
again Jeremiah 10 woe is me for my hurt it sounds like it's Jeremiah but the context seems to imply it's God woe is me for my hurt my wound is grievous truly this is a grief and I must bear it my tabernacle is spoiled my children are gone forth there is none to stretch forth my tent this is the extent of God's hurt and pain for his people and then there's that passage in Jeremiah 14, 8 and 9 where God says that he feels like a mighty man that cannot save as a a wayfaring man, as a wandering man wandering through his own deserted country so it's almost unbelievable the extent of God's pain and hurt for his people truly it hurt God more than his children knew to punish them now just uh, look there in Jeremiah 6 Uh, but in verse 8 there Jeremiah 6 we read that God's soul departed from his people God's soul departed from his people be thou instructed Jeremiah 6 verse 8 O Jerusalem lest my soul depart from thee lest I make thee desolate a land not inhabited now looking at that word depart if you're making notes you can scribble down a couple of uh, references where that same word is translated to hang or to crucify this is Numbers 25 verse 4 Numbers 25 4 2 Samuel 21 2 Samuel 21 verses 6, 9 and 13 6, 9 and 13 so I think you can see what I'm going with this that God's soul his soul would departed as this rather mild translation says in the King James uh, his soul was crucified was hung up to die for his people and when we try to get our mind even somewhere near comprehending what might have happened in the feelings of God when Jesus died it is true to say that in the death of his son in, in that sense he died not that he did physically but God was in Christ to such an extent that what was done to Jesus was done to God and so it was in that sense upon him that people spat rejected, derided him rejected him now you know what I'm saying I'm not saying that Jesus is God the the primitive Trinitarian way of saying ah yes that Jesus is God I mean this misses the whole point what we're talking about here is a father and a child a father and his son who are of course two quite different entities but as we can I think all relate to the suffering of the father was because of the suffering of the child the point is that time and again God shows himself as extremely sensitive to Israel's sin and also that in their suffering he actually in a sense I think suffered even more than they did now we're dealing with things here that that beggar the imagination that, that, that stretch our little minds that I who live and suffer here on this earth my pain and my suffering is not greater than the suffering and pain of God himself now how could this be as I sit here and notice a little ant walking over 
the floor next to me and well in an absent-minded moment I shift my my foot from where I'm standing and I crush that ant. Well so what? However could that ant's pain or the pain of its fellow ant at its destruction uh, how could that touch me in any way? I am so so to say but in a sense superior to that ant. It's not a category of being that I can enter into. When you think of the greatness of God Almighty, that he, billions, trillions of light years away, if you want to look at it in in terms of physical size, distance, etc., this God who is there but is so far away in one sense, is so beat up by our failings, I mean, what difference to God does it make, you could say, if you and I go out and sin tonight? So what? And if you and I choose not to sin, so what? All that distance, all that difference between him and us, is there really a bridge between us and him, whereby he can feel to that extent and get so hurt, even crucified, because little people here on earth chose in their weakness to go the easy way the selfish way I mean we see people doing this around us all the time and we do it so often ourselves but this is the sensitivity of God and it seems to me that Jeremiah particularly because he had the spirit of God he not that he was just filled up with it Uh, automatically because God just happened to choose him when he could have chosen the guy next to Jeremiah but he just happened to pick Jeremiah Uh, no, Jeremiah through his own uh, spirituality his own reflection, his own love of God his own searching after God came to this same mind as God had and that's why at the beginning of Jeremiah's ministry and, and you get it with Ezekiel as well God has to psychologically strengthen these men because the whole tension that, that is there in God of love and grace wanting to destroy his people and yet save them by pure grace th- this is the most well, powerful almost emotion that uh, even we're, we're now the limit of human language it's not emotion, it's whatever it's, it's beyond what we can uh, express in words um, this was felt to some degree, entered into by the prophets. Jeremiah himself wanted to abandon his people and run away from them. And yet he he cries his heart out and even says, I wish I had more tears. I wish my heart was, was even larger so that I could cry and weep the more for my people. And so Jeremiah can say things like, my anguish, my anguish, Jeremiah 4.19, I writhe in pain, oh the walls of my heart. I mean, this is how much he entered into this. And he became, because he was on the side, as it were, of God's spirit, uh, to perceive the real nature of sin. So many times in Jeremiah, and I have scribbled down here about 15 at least uh, times when he says this, he complains about their evil thoughts and their evil hearts and he says that on a nation such as this there will come down judgment he says in Jeremiah 13:15 that he weeps in secret his eyes running down with tears for your pride 
Now, we see people showing pride all the time, and we just shrug and think, oh, he's a bit arrogant. Uh, and it doesn't, you know, you don't go and weep in secret because somebody is proud. Well, I don't, anyway. Um, but you see the sensitivity that there was in Jeremiah because of the state of people's hearts. Now, we are so brutalized, really, by the uh, judgment system of this world, whereby it doesn't matter at all what you think in your heart. You could never, ever have somebody up on trial for their life because you thought in your heart a bad thought or a proud thought about X, Y, Z. No, it doesn't matter as far as this world is concerned. What you say in private, what you think in private, just don't kill anybody, just don't do anything too drastic. If you do happen to do those drastic things, sure, you get up in court and you have to answer for it and you will be punished. It's all focused on the external. The whole judgment process of human beings is inevitably just based on the external because they can't see inside. And yet God, of course, judges according to the heart and attitudes. You find some passages in Jeremiah when he calls down judgment upon Israel because they trust in wealth rather than trusting in God. Jeremiah 22, you get this long and passionate condemnation of Jehoiakim for building an extension to his house, using his neighbours as workmen and not giving them the agreed wages. Now, we see that going on all the time. Petty deception in business. People abusing their position over other people. You just see that all the time, to the point that you just shrug and think, well, that's them, that's how it is. But the, the tragedy of it very often doesn't get to us. And the spirit of the prophets, which Revelation says should be really the spirit of Christ in us, was highly sensitive to that. Jeremiah 23, verse 10, Human might is not right. Might is not right. Uh, All through the prophets, Jeremiah particularly, there is the denunciation of, of trust in human power. There's a really big issue. We see people not trusting in God, just trusting in human strength all the time. And we just think, yeah, well, that's how it is. But this was a terrible tragedy to Jeremiah and and, and to God. It's rather like when Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he starts off by addressing the sin of their divisiveness. And he gets later on to moan about them being drunk at the breaking of bread, false doctrine, not believing in the resurrection, idolatry, using temple prostitutes, as as I read it at the time of the uh, breaking of bread meeting. Now, with all that going on, I think I'd have picked those issues and said, look, guys, don't you get it? This is completely wrong. But instead, no, first up, you divide it. And likewise, there's a whole host of things the prophets could have raised with Israel. But they raise things like injustice. And they raise things like pride, trusting in, in human strength, firstly, rather than in God. Come into God as a kind of insurance policy, just in case the human strength doesn't work out. Now, we see that, and do I say it, we, we, we do those things, in essence, ourselves, so often. And we have become desensitized to sin. And sadly, all too often, we read the prophets and we think, oh yeah, they're just droning on about the same thing. But try and read them from the point of view of perceiving their sensitivity to sin. And how this absolutely cut them up and cut, cuts God up to his heart. There's a great passage in Jeremiah 5, 
uh, verse 1, where God tells Jeremiah to run to and fro in the streets of Jerusalem, search her squares, to see if he could find a single man who did justice, was not unjust, and wasn't greedy. And he can find anyone. Now, Jeremiah running around the streets of Jerusalem and searching her squares for a man who was just and was humble and wasn't greedy. This, of course, was God, in a sense, doing that. It's common to say that, well, I was searching for the truth. I was searching for God, and you know what? I found him. I, f- I read this book, uh, or I came across this, this guy I worked with, or whoever, you know, however it was, and that's how I came to the, to the truth. That's how I came to Jesus. That's how I came to God. But, you know, I was searching for years. I, I was going all sorts of religions. I was searching around for years. And uh, that is all true, in one sense. But don't forget the huge other side of the equation that God is in search of man chronically and desperately God is in search of man now it's not that you know, God is there some kind of indifferent take it or leave it kind of God who says well you know, if you happen to find me stumble across me yeah well here I am for you um, over to you, you, know, you choose to believe the gospel and be baptized and you continue in Christ sure um, yeah you'll be saved no, you see, this is missing the point. God is in search of man. He really is. And of course, when we, in our searching, quote, find him, he finds us. And in that sense, in that sense God meets with man, and man meets with God. Uh, and this is the, uh, the ecstasy of heaven over one sinner who repents. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And so, don't be discouraged at people not responding to your witness. Just remember that you are, on behalf of God, searching for people, for God. That his colossal desire for relationship with men and women is being funneled through you. Now that's enough to, to lift the spirits of all of us in this apparently depressing business that we're in of trying to witness to a world that appears not to be interested. So I want to suggest that we make a list of certain people that we have in our lives that we may only occasionally meet or maybe people we often meet. And pray over those people. Just regularly pray for this one for that one, for the woman in apartment number seven in the block in which I live, for that man who walks his dog, who very occasionally I do share a few words with when I happen to to meet him, for that person that I'm working with at this moment who absolutely appears so secular as to have no heart for God whatsoever. Pray for these people. Pray that God will give you meetings with people. Because there is, uh, you know, words fail me, but there is a colossal and huge passion of God that is behind your witness. That his desire, his search for men and women is funneled for you. It really is. Absolutely, it is. And so, we are not alone. Man is not alone. God is with us. God is not, in that sense, distant. Not at all. And remember that we are not just uh, 
God's kind of PR arm or, or department here on earth. I mean, we are that in, in a sense. But we are also his people. He has also found us. And he is very sensitive to every thought and action that you and I have. It's not possible for us in that sense to take a holiday, take a break, to say, yeah, well, okay, I'll just, today or this evening, I'm just on holiday, I'm just on, on a break. You know how it's like when you're maybe having a bit of a break? You think, no, 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 I'm not picking the phone up, I'm not answering emails, I'm not even looking at my computer, I'm on holiday, I'm, on, I'm just having a break tonight. And I, I'm not saying that that attitude in itself in human life is, uh, is wrong. Perhaps we, we all need that from time to time. But when it comes to our relationship with God, you cannot do that. Not for a single moment. You come to lay your head down at night and our prayer should be that subconsciously in my dreams, in my, my reflections, may I be with you. There's a number of the Psalms that seem to be saying that. But 24-7, we are in some sense with God, consciously, on one level or another. Now this imparts an intensity to human life, the sort of intensity that you see in Jeremiah and, and the prophets. This is a very hard way to live, um, but it is in fact the only way to live. And you may say, look, I, I can't be that sensitive all the time to God and to other people when I get crazy. And yes, I think you, you would, if it were not for the fact that God is prepared and does uh, psychologically strengthen us, just as he did Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Because, you know, you, you take uh, the sort of things that Jeremiah criticizes in, in uh, the society of Judah at his time. I mean, if we just for, for five minutes walk down a street perceiving human sin as God does I mean you'd go crazy that you're walking down the street and there in an apartment uh, is, a, is a guy just watching the telly wasting his life and another person who's an alcoholic and another fellow is having an argument with his wife and another woman who's sitting there looking out the window having bitter thoughts in her heart uh, about her ex-husband or whatever it might be uh, and there's another fellow busy, busy, working, studying away because he wants to pass an exam to get a good career to get, to get more money and there's someone else thinking how they can spend what bit of money they've got on some nice uh, thing, holiday, car, whatever it might be uh, someone else trusting in, in a lawyer that they've just hired to get a good settlement against their adversary or, or whatever, employer that unjustly fired them, someone else having proud thoughts about something or other. You see, just for five minutes to walk down the street and perceive all that as God perceives it, I mean, you'd get crazy. So then we need God to strengthen us. You know, God said to Jeremiah, I will make your faces as iron. It doesn't mean insensitive. The whole point was, I will strengthen you in this figure of giving you an iron face, make you as an iron pillar. And he doesn't mean, I will make you insensitive. He means, I will strengthen you to be sensitive. That is the idea, I, I do believe. And so, the sensitive life is a very painful life. But it is the only way to be. And it's our insensitivity to others, which is related to our insensitivity to God and our insensitivity to ourselves, to our own thinking, action, etc. 
This is why we distinctly dislike the idea of self-examination. And this is why the idea of breaking bread in 1 Corinthians 11 is connected with the idea of self-examination. It's a theme that it goes right through the scriptures, like with the, the Passover, they had to search the house for leaven. You know, Paul talks about uh, how Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, 1 Corinthians 5, and that we also are to keep the feast not with the old leaven uh, of malice and wickedness, etc. And you've got it again at the the first time the Lord uh, instituted the uh, the breaking of bread meeting he said well one of you shall betray me and they all said to him Lord is it I there was if you like self examination going on when each of them said to Jesus Lord is it I I mean they were really asking themselves that question is it I so then we are helped then in this self examination process in this awareness of who we really are by the whole issue, or the whole event of the crucifixion, that by our sustained meditation upon that, that merges quite naturally and in a divinely designed kind of way with our own self-examination. And yet out of that self-examination there comes that comfort. And as the point we made at the start of the study is that the soul of God was hung, was hung up, was crucified in the sufferings of his people and so his pain is so great and it's not only so great at our failure it's so great at the failure of all his, in one sense, his children by that I mean all the human beings that exist Uh, and of course even greater in the failure of his own people his special people the failure of Israel is a pain that is continually with him and I am not convinced that the new Israel has done an awful lot better than the old Israel so his pain at our dysfunction uh, as the uh, the ecclesia uh, the, the Christian church uh, is I, I think the same his pain at our individual failures but as with anyone who is super sensitive there's another side to it and that is the joy and the sensitivity also to any attempt that is made to show him our love and in the breaking of bread we have one very simple obvious way that we can do that but it's not just of course in the breaking of bread what I mean by that is without uh, encouraging us to pat ourselves on the back in any form the fact that we do love him with all our heart, soul and mind uh, I, I know we fail but we do ultimately do that we have pledged that to him and we show that in our lives what are we doing here? what are we doing? studying his word resolving to do better resolving to be more sensitive to his sensitivity to be his vehicle for, for searching out for more people to give more glory and honour to him in this world I mean, we are giving him pleasure. And that was, I think, spoken of in spirit in Isaiah 53, where we're told after the uh, description and prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus, that he that is God in Jesus shall look upon the suffering, the travail of his soul, and be satisfied. Be encouraged, be joyful. 
and I do believe that he does that right now with us we can touch the heart of God Almighty and of his son who is now in heaven and that is a wonderful thing